Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same blood, the same love. Stay by your side, it's right or die. All right, welcome back to Forged in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Fireman Rob. Today's guest, hard charger, interesting individual who's going to give you so much insight. I mean, his life has taken him from everywhere. He was born in South Africa. He went uh, to the Naval Academy, then was a Navy SEAL, became a Navy SEAL commander, and now he operates as a mindful meditation teacher. John McCaskill, it's so great to have you on today. Hey Rob, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. It's you know what an amazing life you've had, and 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 so many different aspects. You know, from growing up in South Africa to moving here at age seven. How did that? You know that that initial move. Were were you part? Was your family part of the military at a young age, or was that just a, a normal move for your family? Uh, so yeah, my my family. Uh, my parents were actually born and raised there in South Africa themselves, and they go back on each side several generations in South Africa. Um, so, you know, a lot of a lot of people when they hear that a, a, a little white boy at the time, you know, seven <laughs> seven years old, was yeah. in South Africa, the the question is always, well, what was your family doing there? Well, they were they were born and raised there too, and uh, my parents saw where the country was going with uh, apartheid they didn't believe in or support apartheid. And then they also saw that uh, I have a younger brother and I've got three older sisters, but uh, myself and my younger brother, if we had gone through the school system there at the time when we graduated, we would have been conscripted into the military. Um, So one of the things my parents did not want was us to join the military without any choice. Uh, obviously, obviously I came over here and I joined the military, the U S military by choice. Um, and that's kind of the joke is, Hey, you (laughs) kept me me from getting drafted, but I came over and joined the U S military by choice. But yeah, um, moved over here when, uh, when I was seven years old, my dad got a a teaching visa at Louisiana tech university in, in a small town of Ruston, Louisiana. Um, and the, the, the intent was to stay here for a year initially and see whether we liked it. And if not, um, move on to some, some other place. But um, we, we fell in love with the country, fell in love with uh, everything that it stood for and, and stayed, got our green cards. And then, you know, years later, got our citizenship. I, I got my citizenship when I was 19. So it was 12 oh, years wow. that I'd lived in the country um, at the time. Now I think it's a lot, uh, it's a lot less time to get your U S citizenship, but yeah. bottom line is, is, um, it did take, uh, 12 years before I became a U.S. citizen. I graduated high school, became a U.S. citizen 
and then joined the Navy uh, that that following uh, fall in in 1996. Enlisted in the Navy first, and then and then uh, as you said, went from the enlisted ranks into the Naval Academy and into the officer ranks of the of the SEAL teams. That's amazing. And and how did how did that decision? Because I know a lot. My son is actually very interested. He's only 14, but he's interested in going in the military. You know, I had served in the military. How did you make that decision to go into the Navy? What was that? What was that choice like? Yeah. Uh, so in high school, I was part of a cross country and track team that was uh, very small. Um, you know, all all guys at, uh, at the time, and we were very good at running <laughs> we, spent, we spent a lot of time together both at the actual track and cross-country meets but also over and above that the running that we did to train so like we spent literally almost every waking hour outside of high school outside of school we spent together um and i knew that i wanted to be part of something that was very successful because I'd been a part of a very successful track and cross country team. And I wanted to be part of a brotherhood because I had been part of that tight knit group in high school as part of that track cross country team. And I started looking at the the military because I knew that there was something in me that wanted to do some type of service. Right. And then I knew that it was going to be an elite team. So I looked, started looking at special operations and then growing up in Louisiana, my parents used to take us down to the Gulf Coast every summer for a vacation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I knew that I loved the ocean. I loved the water. Um, so I wanted to do something that was maritime. And, you know, the Navy SEALs popped to the surface as far as the career in the special operations. They're the maritime experts. So um, I knew I, I knew at that point I had to join the Navy. So I enlisted in the Navy. Um, and then a year later was at the Naval Academy, uh, getting inducted there. And then, uh, through my four years at the Academy ended up after that going into the SEAL training out in Coronado, California, and kind of the rest was history. So when you go into BUDS, and I know a lot of people hear special operations and they think of the movies and they, they don't understand the amount of mental and physical stress that it takes to even start that mission that start the buds training, start even right. pre buds training. Talk to me more about that mindset to be able to um, switch in and go, because uh, I, I've talked to a few other seals and it's a different mindset for every single person, but it's kind of the same trajectory that all of them go down. Talk to me right. more about what your mindset was. Well, I think um, my mindset at the time, you know, I'd graduated the Academy and I put in, the one year enlisted and then the, the four years at the academy to reach this goal. So those five years that I had served prior to getting to BUDS, I felt as a foundation that I'd laid for myself, but also a price that I had paid. And if I were to quit at BUDS going through training, then I would have wasted those five years. Right. Uh, so I think that was a part of it. The other part of it is seeing the big picture. So a lot of people, when they show up at BUDS, that is their goal. They're, they want to go to BUDS and <laughs> they can't see past that. They get to BUDS. That's their their kind of end-all, be-all dream that they've accomplished. And then, you know, they don't see past that. So as soon as they start facing any type of adversity in training, they, they wash out pretty quickly. 
So you'll you'll run into two types of people at, at buds, those who want to be at buds and those who want to be seals. And normally those who want to be seals are the ones who can see the bigger picture and get through the training, but not only see the bigger picture, but also see all the steps in between here and there and what they need to accomplish. It's much like a marathon, right? Like somebody who lines up race day <laughs> to run a marathon and has never done anything before. Yeah. Um, they, they are probably not going to finish that marathon. Also, those who can't see every single step that you have to take along the way in that 26.2 miles, they're not going to make it. So the, the people who make it through buds and become seals are those who can see the big picture. They see the finish line, you know, day one, they know they want to become a seal. And then the next thing is they can break that whole six months of training at buds and the subsequent training afterwards at seal qualification training and the, the various other schools that you have to go through. They can break that down into, you know, hey, I got to get through this phase of training. Then they break that phase down into, okay, I've got to get through this week, break that down into, hey, I got to get through the day, break that down into, I got to make it from this meal to the next. <laughs> like, literally, that's how people make it. Like through through Hell Week, you know, it's it's five yeah. days of, of no sleep or very little sleep and just constant physical training. If you think of it as five days the whole time, you're like, I'm not going to make it through this. But if you're like, I got to just make it to dinner. And then once yeah. you make it to dinner, you get through that. You're like, okay, I just got to make it to the, the midnight meal and then break it down and like continually break it down into smaller, more digestible chunks. I think that's a mindset that we all have in common is that we're able to see the end goal, but also able to break down this gigantic elephant of a, of a training and break it down into digestible chunks. And so when you break it down into those digestible chunks, sometimes you have those unknowns. Like they're, they, you know, you can go to, you, we're going to have a midnight meal or you're going to be able to get a snack or you're going to have a break. And then they all say, sudden say, go to the surf. What is that? What is that? How do you shift that? Because there's so many people that with unknowns, with not being able to actually tangibly see those steps, they freak themselves out and aren't even able to take a step. What would you yeah. tell those people? Well, I think that uh, some of that actually comes with what I do now is teaching mindset and, and I teach grit and resilience through the use of the practices of mindfulness and meditation. And we'll get into that a, le a little bit here shortly, but the, the grit and resilience, I think that's, those are the two things that you have to have grit being just mental toughness, the ability to, to set your mind to a goal and work your butt off to accomplish that goal. And then the resilience is being able to flex and adjust when those unknowns are thrown at you. And that, that only comes through, in all honesty, I believe, putting yourself in situations where you're going to have those unknowns thrown at you. So you know, if you're coming from a background where you've never had to deal with any type of adversity, where you've never had to overcome any type of obstacles, where you've never had to work towards your goals, you're probably not set up for success. You may, you may succeed anyway, but you're not set up ideally for success. So uh, we, we talked a little bit before the show uh, about Mission Six Zero, and that's one of the companies that I do some subcontract leadership consulting with and they have a program called deliberate discomfort they actually have a book called <laughs> deliberate discomfort and if you <clears throat> if you set yourself out set yourself up rather 
to intentionally be uncomfortable in situations, you're going to grow from that. You're going to come out stronger. I mean, there's the, the old saying that we've all heard a thousand times, that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. There's right. some truth to that, right? There's some truth. I mean, I certainly don't want people to put themselves in situations that are dangerous necessarily, but put themselves in situations that are uncomfortable. If you don't like public speaking, put yourself in a, in, you know, in a situation where you're going to do some public speaking intentionally. Right. If you don't like, uh, you know, physical strain, put yourself in a situation where you're going to physically strain your body uh, and push yourself past your mentally set up limits because that's what they are. They're mentally set up. You can push yourself, you can push your body, you can push your mind way further than you ever thought you could. And once you're able to set yourself up and to do those, then you're going to grow and you're going to look back and you're going to be able to face those times where those uncertain things pop up that, that uncertain, you know, run into the surf and get, get wet and sandy or more, more importantly, you know, uncertain things that pop up in life where you may have a friend pass away or you may end up getting some type of sickness. You're going to be able to be more resilient through that. And you're right. going to have more grit through that as well. So those are the two things that I, I try to teach uh, when I teach mindfulness and meditation is how it can change your mindset, how it can change the way that you ta tackle life. So that's that's what I, I would tell someone if they're looking to get ready for things that they don't anticipate right. is put themselves in situations where they're going to be uh, presented with obstacles and adversity and that's going to help them overcome that unknown. Now, now, did you see as your career went, as your career went forward, I mean, 24 years in the military, so, uh, that's a great career. Did you see as you went forward in the military, a, a change in your decision-making, a change in your resilience of how you had to do it? Was it harder or did it stay the same throughout? Oh, that's a great question, man. One that I actually haven't thought too much about. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you now that you made me think about it. Let me see. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, now you're throwing all these uncertainties at me, man. <laughs> I know. See, here no, comes the unknowns. Good. Yeah. It's not the no. surf though. That's the good thing. No, no sugar. <laughs> right. cookies, man. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I think um, my perspective on things definitely changed throughout my career. Um, I think when I came out of the Academy and, and came out of uh, Bud's training initially. I was full of piss and vinegar and very, uh, very kind of um, cocky almost to a point. And, yeah. and that was definitely at a fault. And that showed in my first platoon. Um, you know, the, the way that I led was completely different than the way that I led as a, as a commander after 24 years. Um, and there was definitely pluses and minuses to both sides. I think the, the, Full of piss and vinegar is, is a is a good way to be initially, so that you have the energy uh, to continue going through some of that physical training, going through some of that mental training. Um, but with the, um, I won't say that the age that I have now, but the, maybe the, the wisdom, the <laughs> wisdom, the wisdom, experience, seasoning. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that I that I have now. Um, I wish that I could go back to my you know, 23 year old, 24 year old self and say, okay, here's some things that you could do better. You could right. show compassion to some of your, your fellow seals, your fellow, uh, 
teammates, maybe not necessarily the SEALs themselves, but there's there's a ton of people at a SEAL team that are not SEALs. Right. And, uh, you know, I think I think where I was a little arrogant when I first got to a team was thinking, hey, the SEALs are, are the, the creme de la creme and everybody else at the team is there to support them. And that that's true to a fact uh, or true to a point, but uh, really that those th- those enablers, uh, the support personnel that are there to allow the seals to do their job, they're phenomenal people, and I awesome. took them for granted at first, and that's probably where I I would really like to have changed the way that I did things when I first got to the teams is is um, better lead and better listen to those people so that I knew what they were going through, knew what they brought to the table, fully understood the capabilities that they had. I think I would have been a better SEAL and a better leader overall. Um, so those are some things that I would like to do different and some things that I believe uh, could have made me a better leader at, at a younger age. That's, that's amazing to hear. And and now all of that, so you, all of that High operation. I mean, you did uh, tours in Afghanistan. You were off the coast of Somalia, Panama. Um, I'm sure many other places. How did you transition that hard charging, you know, like piss and vinegar, yeah. to be able to translate that into mindful meditation? Like, I've been in the fire service for 21 years, and my getting into my own mind is probably more exercise than me going on the treadmill. how did how did you make that transition well luckily i had somebody who was very patient with me um Mm -hmm. and and also compassionate in introducing these practices to me i was again kind of full of myself when somebody is like hey maybe to help you deal with what it is you're going through so what i was going through i was going through some stress i was going through anxiety i was going through depression post-traumatic stress, survivor guilt, kind of this whole cocktail of nastiness. Anyway, uh, I was going through that and I had a counselor recommend mindfulness and meditation to me. And at first I was like, doc, you're freaking out of your mind. If you think I'm going to practice that, (laughs) that woo woo stuff, because that's what I thought it was. I was like, okay, this, this, this is just some snake oil that he's trying to sell me. But then he was, like I said, very patient with me and he's like, okay, I know you're a type A personality here. Let me explain the science behind it, why it works, the the physiological changes that you undergo as you practice, why that happens. And here's some very high performing individuals who practices who practice mindfulness and meditation. And so he got kind of got my buy-in there. And then he was like, and this is going to help your performance. And as a type A personality, that's yep. hey, you know what? Hey, show me, show me whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I was in, um, and I went and practiced for a couple of weeks and, 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 you know, I feel bad cause I tell this story all the time, but it's true that that's why I tell the stories is, is, Hey, I, I went back to this guy after a couple of weeks and this, this is, uh, I was like, Hey, you know what? This stuff is not working. What else you got? And he laughed at me. He's like, well, that's like going to the, the gym for two weeks and thinking that you're going to be this super, <laughs> super like bodybuilder or whatever. Yeah. And uh, obviously that's not the case. So mindfulness and meditation, much like going to the gym, it takes time to get your brain in shape. It takes time to open up new neural pathways and start new habits. Uh, just like going to the gym, you don't get go to the gym and get under 300 pounds on the bench press day one, you, you work your way up to that. 
And yeah. um, that's what you've got to do with meditation. So I practiced it for another two months or so after that. And that's when I started to see changes in how I was feeling about things, how I was taking in life, how I was enjoying things. And, uh, and when that happened, that was one change. But when people came up to me a few weeks after that, and they're like, Hey, what are you doing differently? Um, <laughs> at first, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I thought I was seeing changes, but I thought maybe I was just imagining those. But when other people came up to me and asked me what I was doing differently, that's when I was like, okay, yeah, something's definitely different here. Wow. And, and that, <clears throat> um, at first I was a little embarrassed to tell somebody that I was practicing. But when I did, um, you know, I told several people over time there to a person rather than their eyes glazing over and then walking away from me and thinking that I was crazy. They always asked me, Oh, well tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Right. And so I started telling people and then I saw them starting the practice and I was reading more about it and learning more about it. And then I realized, you know what? It's, it's almost like an obligation of mine to pay it forward and teach people about these practices because so many of the people who do teach it, nothing against them, but their background is very different than mine. So oh, by a far. lot of the time, yeah, a lot of the time they are not able to communicate with um, very high performing teams, very high performing individuals. And um, because of my background, sometimes that opens up doors and sometimes it opens up minds that normally wouldn't open up to it. So it, it, I'm taking it as a as an obligation to pay it forward to others and share these practices with them. And uh, yeah, I think that's how, because of time and because of a counselor who was very patient with me, um, that's how I was introduced to mindfulness and meditation. And that's how um, somebody who is full of piss and vinegar takes a step <laughs> back and eats a little bit of humble pie and starts <laughs> starts doing something a little bit different and out of the norm. And it changes it changes you. It changes me. Change me. Totally changed I think me. That, I think that's amazing because when you, when you look at it from a perspective, as a lot of the the career fields and a lot of people. Are, are too um, proud or have too much of an ego, like you were saying in the beginning, and I've been in the same spot of you have that ego of like, no, 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 that's not, that's not going to work at all. How have you integrated, like you said, you're able to knock down some more doors and knock down some of those walls and barriers that people have um, by saying, well, hey, I was a Navy SEAL. I was in the military for 24 years. I use this. What have you heard the response being like, how, how quickly do people change their minds when they hear that from your, your mouth? Yeah. Well, um, I haven't had a whole lot of people that I don't tell pretty quickly that I was a, a, a seal. Uh, and right. not the, like, I've got to also put this caveat out is, you know, a, a lot of uh, the seal community has gotten a bad rap about, we, we say one thing, but we practice another. We, we say, hey, we're the silent professionals. We don't advertise the work that we do, nor seek recognition for the work that we do, or something to that effect. But right. uh, my, my SEAL brothers who hear this later are going to beat me up because I slaughtered that. But basically, that's <laughs> the, the paraphrase of it. Um, <laughs> but, but the reason I bring that up is, you know, you turn around, even though we have that, that saying – we turn around and you see a movie or a book written by a seal every, every other day. Exactly. And um, what I, what I think is great about that 
is those books or movies that are out there to help others live a better life. So yep. if it's about if it's about leadership or if it's about um, you know overcoming adversity or overcoming obstacles, I think those are great reads. Um, right. Those that are books, just hey, this is I was a seal. I'm going to write a book about it, and uh, you better buy my book because I was a seal. That I, I disagree with. Right. So uh, the reason I say that is I do tell people pretty quickly up front that I was a Navy SEAL. And the reason I do that is because I know that that most often is going to open up those minds, open up those doors so that people will hear the message that I have to share with them. And that's a message that's going to ultimately help them live happier, healthier, more productive, more fulfilling lives. Right. So. To, to answer your question, it's kind of a non-answer in that I don't have a lot of people that I just go into and say, hey, look, you know what? I want to talk to you about mindfulness and meditation. And yeah. then I just pause and stop. I normally, <laughs> go in, I normally go in and say, hey, I want to talk to you about developing resilience, developing grit, increasing the health and happiness yes. of your people. And oh, by the way, I do this because, and that's where I said, you know, I've told this story a lot. I tell the story that I just told you to yep. just about anybody that I'm presenting this to so that it will open up their minds and it will open up those doors. I rarely leave that off the table. Um, and it's not, it's not like I'm playing the seal card saying, Hey, look, I'm a seal, buy me a beer. Right. It's, hey, I, I have a high performing background. That's why I'm going to be able to relate to your people. That's why I'm going to be able to relate to you. And uh, that's, I do, I do play that card, but only for that reason. And, but it, you know, it's, it's interesting because I mean, I play the firefighter card as, as well, but it's, it's one of those things. It's part of your story. And I, and I love that you said that because it is, it, it's powerful, you know, right. learning from a Navy SEAL is, you know, Michael Jordan doesn't come up and say, not tell you he's Michael Jordan, right. you know, right. you, you'd want to learn from him and not the, you know, uh, Bob Jordan from uh, Podunk, Louisiana, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. there's, there's, there's the power behind the message. And I love that you've translated what you did at a high level to be able to facilitate having people feel comfortable and understand that it's not a joke. It's not something that, is going to go away. And that mindfulness is, is a critical part of having, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, frontline workers, but also at the same time, just normal people uh, be able to live their lives. How have you found that mindful meditation? What are, what are some of the basic elements that you found that have, that have changed your daily life? Oh man. A lot. How long? (laughs) (laughs) So, so uh, basically my practice, I'll tell you what my practice looks like, and then I'll tell you like what I've experienced from it. My, my practice looks like uh, about 15 minutes in the morning. Basically, the first thing I do after taking care of my biological needs after you know sleeping, I get up, use the restroom, and then I go and meditate for 15 minutes or so. And then, and then I practice mindfulness throughout the day so i try to pay attention to what it is i'm doing and that alone and nothing else so you know if i'm playing with my kids i try to pay attention to playing at playing with my kids if it's i'm at work working on one particular task like right now i'm, I'm on the phone with you i'm not i don't have my computer running in front of me and a tv and you know a whole bunch of th- other things <laughs> 
I'm trying to be mindful about the conversation we're having, the questions right. that you're asking. And, uh, and, and, you know, throughout my day, I try to be mindful in everything that I do. That's a way of being. Mindfulness is a way of being. Mm-hmm. Meditation is the practice. And then I'll do another meditation after lunch. Try to do, I, I try to do another 10 or 15 minutes after lunch. And that sets me up for the afternoon to, to really be productive and focused. So the reason I tell you my, what my practice looks like first, totally, totally forgot to turn off the ringer there. No worries. <laughs> Hopefully no worries. It didn't come across too well. Anyway, um, the reason I tell you what my practice is, is that kind of lays the foundation for what I've experienced from that. So the meditation in the morning that gets my mind settled so, you know, settled to attack the day. If I go into my day without that meditation, I feel like I've been shot out of a cannon. One of my friends used that, that phrase with me a couple of weeks back. I was like, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> I feel like I'm shot out of a cannon and the day, the day has its advantage over me and not the other way around. I want to have the, I want to have like the that. advantage. And, uh, if, if you're shot out of a cannon, you don't have that. So right, right off the bat, um, that's one like settled my mind and it gives me the advantage over the day. And then as I go mindfully through the day, that's just the way of being rather than the practice uh, that allows me to be more fully engaged in the moment. Okay. Be fully engaged in a conversation with a friend, be fully engaged on a phone call, be fully engaged with my kids when I'm playing, or if I'm just by myself walking around. I'm fully, I like, I'm paying attention to the sights, the sounds, the feelings, both physical and emotional that I'm experiencing. So I feel that by practicing the meditation that gets my mind right for the day. And then by living mindfully, I enjoy this human experience more fully. I'm more fulfilled by living mindfully and not thinking about, okay, what's the rest of the day hold or what did I screw up yesterday? That stuff that's in the past. You're not going to, you're not going to make that up. That's right. in the past. And then the stuff that's coming, you know, worrying about it is not going to do a whole lot planning for it. Sure. That's one thing, but worrying about it, that's not going to do a whole lot of good for anyone. So why not live in the here and the now? One of my, one of my friends, who's also a, a mindfulness teacher, she, she said, Hey, Living mindfully is like living on the play button of a remote control rather than living on the fast forward or the raw rewind. Oh, wow. Life, life happens on the play button. And I was like, oh, I love that. I'm going to use it. So <laughs> that's a perfect, that's a perfect way of saying it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you go to John forward slash links to find out more about what he's doing. Now, when you were talking about, that that mindfulness i love that play button thing that that just yeah. that res- that resonates because now one of the one of the quotes that you said are, are we're talking about and i've heard this in a previous um podcast that you've done was like once you reach your goal what's next keep growing yeah. now yeah. I, I i love that part because it, it it really speaks to that mindfulness but how do you control that um in an environment that is so oversaturated with information, how do you control that so that you think about that? What's next, but you're also staying in that moment. Yeah. Great question. Cause it seems like when I talk about setting goals and then the happening the what's next, 
and then I also talk about mindfulness as though I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. <laughs> but, but yeah, so sh- like shutting off um, and shutting out some of the noise in, in life, that's, that's imperative. So uh, another analogy that I use quite often when I'm talking about mindfulness and meditation is that our minds are very similar to snow globes and that, <laughs> that life has a way of shaking those snow globes up and just filling it with more of those snowflakes and yep. not, not allowing us to set that snow globe down and see what's in the center of that snow globe. Like normally that snow globe has like, I don't know, like a little Christmas scene or a city or whatever. Yeah. Like we can't even see that because all the noise of life. So noise being so much news that, you know, 24 hour news cycle, uh, all the notifications on your phone, like you've got social media notifications, you've got email right. notifications, you've got notifications about who, who knows, man, you've got, <laughs> so, so a couple of things that I, I recommend one to tune out the noise so that you can focus on the here and now, but also know what your vision and what your goals are. Because if you have all that noise, if you have tons of social media uh, notifications on your phone, if you have all the 24-hour news, you never can really focus on who you are and what it is you want in this life. Right. Um, so I think the, the, the key is to tune out the noise and focus on what it is you want. And in order to know what it is you want, you have to be mindful you have to do some fairly uncomfortable, um, introspective work, figure out who you are at your inner core. And then once you know who the, who you are, then you can start looking towards your future and start looking towards your goals. And then once you attain those goals, then you can start saying, OK, what's next? So it's, <laughs> it's kinda, it does kind of sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. But the mindfulness, funny enough, does set you up. For even though you're you're focused on the present, the here and the now, it does set you up for being able to more efficiently attain those goals and more effectively yeah. attain those goals. I think they align perfectly in in that fact. Just exactly what you said is you're able to have that that being in the moment. So you're actually engaged. You're actually going to achieve more. So you need to know that you're going to be able to uh, obtain even farther goals down the line once you've done that. I mean, that sounds like a mindset of a seal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying Uh, you have, you have tasks and objectives and you hit those small goals and then you have bigger goals, but John, John, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, such an honor to have you on the show and I, all of your wisdom is um, unbelievable. I want to, we always end the same way. I have three questions for you. You ready for the first? Sure. Shoot. All right. Here we go. Uh, if you could go back in time to your 18-year-old self, <laughs> what would be one suggestion that you would tell yourself? <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think we covered a little bit of that earlier. Oh, like, yeah. Hey, hey, don't, be so, don't be such a cocky SOB uh, <laughs> uh, is, is one of them. And, and, and hey, be prepared to have that beginner's mind um, where – where you're always looking to learn and grow, kind of growth mindset, always be curious, learn from, learn from others, um, learn from those who have been there and done that. I think that that would be one of my first things to tell that, that 18 year old cocky SOB. 
Change now, what do you ways. what do you listen is the key. You know? <laughs> touche, 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 right, not. right. <laughs> All right. The second question is is you know so many people right now and and always are really going through challenges and struggles, and they look to have somebody who's been through the tor- uh, the fires and who have been through the turmoil to look at them and say, what would you suggest as two things that they could do daily to make habits, uh, whether it's in the morning or in the evening, to kind of move their life in a forward direction? Yeah. All right. So two things. Um, mindfulness and meditation, I would say, are one. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's definitely a distinction between mindfulness and meditation, but I would say practicing the two together definitely complement one another. So if you don't have a meditation practice and if you haven't lived mindfully uh i I suggest getting getting on uh you know a simple app and starting a meditation practice whether that's two minutes or whether it's an hour long whatever you can get in start doing a meditation practice the other other side is journaling i think gratitude journaling is a huge thing where we can really change the way we see things in life by writing down two, three, four things every morning that you're thankful for. And I'm not saying like, hey, I'm, I'm thankful for the, the, the roof over my head and I'm thankful for the food on right. my table. That, that can get pretty old pretty quickly. But literally writing down, hey, today I'm happy for the fact that I am uh, I'm writing with a great pen. <laughs> you know, <I'm> really, <laughs> this, is a, this is a great pen. But write yeah. it down like little things, little right. things that you see throughout your life, uh, throughout your day. And that really changes, literally changes the wiring of your brain so that you see more positive things in life. Because we, as cavemen and women, were wired to see the negative in things. That's how we survived. It protected us from threats. But if we continually go through life seeing only the negative in things, sure, that's going to save us from being eaten by a freaking saber-toothed tiger. (laughs) But it's also going to prevent us from enjoying life because we're continually seeing the negative stuff. So if you start uh, a gratitude journal and you journal daily about little things that you are thankful for in your life, you're going to start to see more and more things to be thankful for. And before you know it, you're going to be like, I've got so much to be thankful for. How do I only write four or five things in a day? So that's a, that's another thing I would recommend. Is, so two things are meditation and gratitude journaling. I love that shift in the mindset is the key. Uh-huh. All right. This last one's going to be fun. I, I have no idea who you're going to pick. Uh, so if you had an opportunity to have coffee with three people, they can be deceased or alive at a firehouse table. So nothing is off the table. You can ask them anything and they have to answer. Uh-huh. Who would they be and why? Oh wow! <laughs> Shoot, uh, let's see. Nothing's off the table. I would say definitely my parents. Uh, I've interviewed my parents, which is uh, I highly recommend to anyone whose whose parents are still alive. Like I, I and I probably need to do it again because I did it five years ago and I videoed it. And, uh, and oh, wow. you know, I learned so much about my parents that I did not know before, but I'd love to do it again five years later. Now that I've got kids, I've got a different perspective on things. So I'd love to interview my parents again. And then uh, and then I would love uh, so I, I would count them as one. So my parents. OK. Yep. And then uh, I would love to bring um, the Dalai Lama. Oh, that'd be a good. I'd love to 
pick his brain and and just learn from his well i mean his experiences i mean that's just hands down probably one of the greatest the, the current the current Dalai Lama is probably one of the greatest people on the on the planet um, yep. and uh, let's see who else <laughs> uh, hmm. so uh, to, uh, it is man that's a, that is a thing of a three I mean I, I guess I could cheat and say my mom and dad are two but uh, no 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 we're not no yeah. cheating yeah so <laughs> I, I would love to uh, I mean not to get political um, but I would love to bring uh, the former president and yep. the current president. And I know that's uh, that's I'm I'm way above my my. No, you're you're there. fine. That, I'd, your I'd table increased. Two, yeah, I'd love to bring the two of them uh, to the table and and pick their brains about certain things without um, politics cameras. being on the table. Yep. Yeah, yeah. With, without cameras, definitely, but also without politics. Like I'd like to ask them, yeah, like who they are, like at a yep. deep level. And understand that about them, because uh, you know, depending on which side of the the aisle you're from, it seems as though you view you view either one of them as an animal and not as a human being. And I would love to understand who they are at, at a human level. So that's uh, uh, both of them. Um, I, I like I like your table. That's uh, <laughs> you know, you, you may have to have them sit in the same chair. That could be interesting. <laughs> that would be very interesting. Very. Uh, well, make sure you go to johnmccaskill.com forward slash links. Uh, John, it's been a pleasure having you on today. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.